This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Did you ever have friends that, although they loved each other very much, they constantly fought? As a matter of fact, I recall my friendship with a couple I knew a few years ago. If one said white, the other would say black. Yet, they loved each other. It's just the way it was. That's the atmosphere that was the guiding force on The Bickersons, a radio comedy sketch series that began in September of 1946. The show's married protagonists, portrayed by Donna Michi and Francis Langford, spent nearly all of their time together in relentless verbal war. The show was created by Philip Rapp, the one-time Eddie Cantor writer, who had also created the Fanny Bryce skits for the Siegfeld Follies of the Air. The show typically opened with Langford singing a big band-style arrangement before Donna Michi and Langford would then slip into a comedy routine, often aided by co-star Danny Thomas. So, let's set the scene. It's 1947, and you and the family have just warmed up the old Philco set in the living room and are all set to listen to Donna Michi and Francis Lankford duke it out once again. This episode is called John's Business Trip. From Hollywood, it's dream time. gentlemen, the makers of Dream Shampoo are pleased to present the 12th in a series of new programs produced by Carlton Alsop and starring Don Amici, Blanche, let me sleep, will you? Danny Thomas. Progress. You call this progress? Kaiser is driving Fraser on on a motorcycle. <laughs> and our glamorous dream girl, Frances Langford, who sings... The moon belongs to everyone. The best
here is your host for the evening, Don Amici. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and good evening. Francis, before you get away, I want to tell you that I thought your song was delightful. And Toby, your commercial was stimulating. And Carmen, your music was magnificent. Boy, you feel great tonight, don't you? Oh, I certainly do, Carmen. Do you realize that it's March, the month that heralds spring? Oh, I just love March. Beautiful March. Me too. In fact, I'm looking forward to every month this year. Romantic April. Delightful May. Enchanting June. Exotic July. Carmen, you've got the soul of a poet. No, I've got an Esquire calendar. <laughs> well, I hope you and your calendar are very happy together. But as for me, I have spring fever. And... Francis. Yes, Don? I'd like to drop over to your house about 8.30 tonight. I'll put the top down in my convertible. And, and oh, then... I'm so sorry, Don, but I sort of half promised Danny Thomas I'd keep him company while he's experimenting with his new chemistry stuff. Oh, Francis, do you know what you're letting yourself in for? He won't pay any attention to you. He's had his eye glued to that microscope for three days now. Three days? Yes, that poor soul is trying to outstare a germ. <laughs> he hasn't got an ounce of romance in his body. Oh, I'm sure he has, Don. Did you ever notice his soulful round eyes? Well, did you ever see square ones? <laughs> Why, as far as he's concerned, spring is just... Oh, there he is now. The germ must have won. Danny! Danny Thomas! <laughs> Everybody. Isn't it wonderful, Danny? What's wonderful? Spring will soon be here. It will? Yeah, can't you feel it? Can't you feel those soft, balmy breezes? Does something to a man, eh, Danny? Oh, I know just what you mean, Don. You do? Yeah, it makes you want to get off the old kite and fly the tail off it, boy. <laughs> Say, uh, uh, Danny, have you, have you ever thought about girls? Oh, girls. They fascinate me every time I see them walking down the street in their dainty open-toed shoes. Sure, I, I think about them a lot. What do you think about them, Danny? Don't their toes ever get cold? <laughs> Look, Danny, when a fellow's your age, he doesn't spend all his evenings reading popular mechanics or building a speckled bird's egg collection. Doesn't romance mean anything to you? Of course it does, Don. If I may quote from the classics, in the words of the immortal Hildegard. She's wonderful, Hildegard. I should only wear my nose the way she wears her hair. <laughs> Je vous aime beaucoup, toujours le mot, mon petit chéri. Oh, that's beautiful, Danny. What does it mean? I knew, wouldn't I say it in English? <laughs> you see, what did I tell you, Francis? Danny, you ought to get yourself a girl. Ah, love is only for women. I've heard of a few men who are interested in it, too. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm afraid there'll never be any romance in your life. Ah, I guess you're right, Don. I'm kind of like parsley on a piece of fish. I look all right, but nobody wants me. <laughs> say that, Danny. I'm sure there must be somebody. Well, yesterday I did have kind of a date with the girl next door. We went to the movies, and the three of us had a great time. The three of you? Yeah, me and my girl and the fellow I brought along for her. <laughs> you brought a fellow along for your girl? Yeah, she makes me. She's boy crazy. <laughs> Obviously. He wasn't much of a fellow, though. A little on the dumb side. The dumb side. Yeah, what a dope. He spends 75 cents to see a movie and wastes the whole evening hugging and kissing my girl. <laughs> Your girl? That sounds a bit like an overstatement. Oh, no, it isn't, Don. She told me that her heart belongs to me. She did. It's just that the rest of her likes to go out with other fellas. <laughs> Danny, maybe you better stick to your chemistry set. What do you mean? 
Ah, you're not with it. You're not on the ball. In everyday life, you're just not making any progress. Progress. Hmm. You know why I'm not making any progress? Because I don't want to. You think this age of speed and tempo is good for you? Well, frankly, I never gave it much thought. Then give it some thought, Don. Progress. Have you seen the new 1948 cars? No, but I'd like to buy one. I can't afford a used car. (laughs) I'm serious about this. Things are moving too fast. You know, they say the two biggest features on the new cars are air brakes and unbreakable windshields. Now you can speed up to 200 miles an hour and stop on a dime. Then you press a special button, and a putty knife scrapes you off the windshield. (laughs) Well, that's a handy gadget. Well, don't take it so lightly, Don. I mean, there's such a thing as too much progress. For instance, one of man's most priceless privileges, sitting down to dinner with his family... Simple little pleasure like that is in jeopardy. Why, the other day, my doctor showed me the latest invention in medical science. It's a little pill. Contains the equivalent of an entire meal. Soup, salad, steak, baked potato, choice of three vegetables. A cup of coffee and a big piece of apple pie a la mode. And two toothpicks. Ah, you're joking. No, I'm not. I tried one, but a horrible thing happened. When I took the pill, it was upside down. Well, what's so horrible about that? I ate the dessert first. <laughs> what happened to the toothpicks? Don't be such a wise guy, will you? Oh, now, wait a minute, Danny. Progress has more good features than bad ones. Have you read about the new stockings for women guaranteed not to get runs? They're made out of cold wood and rubber. So what? Instead of runs, they'll get clinkers, splinters, and blowouts. <laughs> inventions, inventions, innovations. Why, years ago, when a woman wanted to go to sleep, she simply put on a nightgown and went to bed. The day before she gets into bed, she puts on hair crimpers, wrinkle erasers, dimple depressors, ear flatteners, nose straighteners. Uh, if a man wants to kiss his wife goodnight, he has to battle his way through $12 worth of hardware. You know, Danny, you got me convinced. Let's both go back and play with your chemistry set. Now you're talking sense, Don. Progress is all right, but it has to be harnessed. Now, look, I'd like to show you my new formula. It'll revolutionize present-day living. What is it? Beverage. Uh, what's it made of? Shh. Liquid. <laughs> mm, a liquid beverage. Yeah, I'll tell you about it. Now, with study and forethought, and research and more thought, I have discovered something new. My magic elixir is a wonderful fixer. Of anything that's wrong with you. I'll bottle it and I'll attain fame. The whole world will honor my name. Drink Thomas Cola. And you'll whistle at the girls once more. If you're half alive and you're 95, Thomas Cola makes you feel like 94. Drink. Thomas Cola, it has sparkle and it's cool and keen. I can't rave enough, you will love the stuff unless you don't like the taste of kerosene. Now, if you're looking gone and you're feeling duller, you really have no excuse. Thomas Cola will give your cheeks some color, purple. Blue and chartreuse. <laughs> Drink Thomas Cola. Fill your glass 
and take a healthy slug. It's a real surprise, makes your spirit rise, while the rest of you just lies there on the rug. Listen to testimonials from all over the world. From Milan, Italy, we hear from Mr. Antonio Garibaldi Tommaso. Well, I tell you. <laughs> I first tried Tomasicola when I was 20 years old. And today, 10 years later, I'm very happy to say I am now 30 years old. <laughs> Tomasicola. That's it for me. That's why I'm as happy as it can be. I drink wine until my top of she blows. And with the Thomas the call, I always wash my clothes. <laughs> and now we hear from the Earl of Thomas, one of the leading literary lights of England, being interviewed. My lord, if you had your choice, would you select wine or Thomas Cola? Wine or Thomas Cola, you say? Well, my lady, wine when aged in casks of choice elk pervades my spirit like exotic incense. A thousand violins drop in my head. I am wafted in fleecy clouds to the seventh heaven above the seventh heaven. <laughs> I respond to its delicacy of flavor with the infinite me that has existed throughout the eternities. Whereas, my lady, Thomas Kola... Yes? Yes? Thomas Kola makes me burst. <laughs> <laughs> And now in Lower Africa, let's listen to Mr. Thomas himself addressing a group of natives. Francis Langford with a special arrangement of Sonata by Carmen Dragon and the orchestra. Sonata, my sonata, I hear you haunting thee, and I begin to Sonata, when I find him 
tender note you played will be my we promised you, Don Amici and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson with Danny Thomas's Brother Amos in The Honeymoon is Over, written by Phil Rapp. The Bickersons have retired. Mrs. Bickerson wrestles the bedclothes in sympathetic agony as poor husband John, victim of a rare type of insomnia which manifests itself in alternate periods of coma and narcolepsy, reaches the crisis during an acute stage of the ailment. Listen. Oh, dear, now he's scaring himself to death. John, John. Are you in pain? Are you in pain, Blanche? <laughs> What's the matter with you? What's the matter, Blanche? Stop repeating everything I say like a parrot. Why do you repeat everything? Hmm? Why do you repeat everything? You just said that. <laughs> I know I did. Why do you repeat everything? Keep repeating everything like a parrot. Very funny. I'll bet you're a riot with those broken-down friends of yours. I never want them in this house again. None of my friends have ever been in this house. Why not? Are you ashamed of me? I'm not ashamed of you. Then why don't you invite them here? Because they're a bunch of bums. They're not bums. When we got married, I gave up all my girlfriends. Why don't you do it? Okay, I'll give up all your girlfriends. <laughs> I wish we could meet some nice people. You should belong to a lodge or something. Why don't you join the Elks, John? I'll join next week. You say it, but you won't do it. Why don't you join now? What? 
Go on, get up and join the elf. Grace, are you out of your mind? It must be three o'clock in the morning. It's only half past two. Oh, why don't you let me sleep? You know I have to get up early. I won't let you sleep. Because if you sleep, you'll snore. Then you'll wake me and I'll wake you and we'll argue and I won't get any sleep. I promise I won't snore. You always snore. Week in, week out. On Monday, you snore. Tuesday, you snore. Wednesday, you snore. Thursday, you snore. Friday, you snore. Saturday, you snore. So what do you do tonight? <laughs> oh, what's the use? <laughs> He's having that dream again. John, John, you said you wouldn't snore. Yes, dear. Turn over on your side. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. What'd you say, Blanche? I didn't say anything. That was an automobile backfiring. Oh. John. Hmm? Close the window. It's cold outside. If I close the window, will it be warmer outside? <laughs> oh, get up and close it. I'm freezing to death. Put a pan under it. I'll have the plumber in the morning. John, I have indigestion. I've never been so sick in all my life. All right, Blanche. I'm awake. Now, what's the matter with you? I don't feel good, John. Call the doctor. You don't need the doctor. I'll handle it. Where does it hurt you? Right here, in the pit of my stomach. It's a shooting pain, and it comes about every five minutes. How long does it last? At least a quarter of an hour. How can it last a quarter of an hour if it comes every five minutes? <laughs> don't yell at me. I'm sick. If I say the pain lasts a quarter of an hour, then it lasts a quarter of an hour. Okay. I think it's that dinner we ate at the Goosebys. The fish disagreed with me. It wouldn't dare. <laughs> I never want to eat there again. Every mouthful was poison. And the portions were so small. Why, you ate like you were condemned. <laughs> well, you have to be polite when you go to dinner. I wish we hadn't eaten anything. I'm suffering so. Call the doctor. Oh, now, don't get hysterical. It's just indigestion. I know how to treat it. I'll fix you some hot ginger ale and oatmeal. Hot ginger ale? Make a new man of you. John Bickerson, I don't want any of your insane remedies. You treat me for indigestion and I'll probably die of liver trouble. Listen, if I treat you for indigestion, you'll die of indigestion. <laughs> now, do you want me to help you or not? Not if you're going to yell at me like that. You wouldn't yell at Gloria Gooseby if she got sick. Now, don't start with Gloria Gooseby. I saw you two at the dinner table playing footsies. Footsies. <laughs> you were so flustered when she smirked at you, you couldn't eat. I was not flustered. Then why did you put gravy on your ice cream? I always put gravy on my ice cream. <laughs> I love gravy on anything, and you know it. A likely story. Ugh. And the gown that woman was wearing. She ought to be arrested. I think she purposely swallowed that fishbone so you could stroke her back. I didn't stroke her back. I patted it. And I'd have done that if she hadn't swallowed the fishbone. I mean, if she hadn't been wearing that gown. I don't know how Leo stands for it. He's such a wonderful man, and Gloria's always playing stick around him just to get sympathy. Uh... A lot you care what happens to me. Every time Gloria gets a headache, Leo hugs and kisses her and fawns over her. Why don't you do that? I'm never there when she has a headache. <laughs> I mean, why don't you fuss over me? Now, listen, Blanche. You're not sick, and you know it. Well, I'm depressed. You're going out of town tomorrow, and I'll be so lonesome, I'll die. I'm only going overnight. I'll be back on Tuesday. 
you cared for me, you wouldn't leave me. I'm not leaving you. I have to go on business, and I won't be gone over 24 hours. Suppose a burglar breaks in the house and finds me. It'll serve him right. (laughs) Now let me sleep. Please, Blanche, I have to make an early train. We've never been separated before. I'm afraid absence will conquer your love. Oh, no. The longer I'm away from you, the better I'll like you. I don't like the way that sounded. Well, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Say, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's the most stupid saying in the world. What? Look at what happened to Mel Shaw. He left his wife alone for two weeks, and now he's the unhappiest man alive. And you know why? She was still there when he came home. (laughs) She was not. Louise got lonesome, and she ran off with the upholsterer. When Mel came home and found out what happened, he went right out and got so drunk... They had to take him to a sanitarium. Why, he ought to be ashamed of himself. Why? A man should wait at least a week before celebrating. (laughs) Good night. Don't be so smart. You might come home and find things changed, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Go on. Stay away from home for a month. Stay away for a year. See if I care. I'm only going for one day. Run all over the country. Go to Europe. Never let me know where you are. Just keep me sitting here wondering whether you're alive or dead. Blanche! Why don't you write to me, John? Now listen to me, Blanche You have only one object in mind And that is to keep me awake I just want you to tell me you love me I love you Now are you satisfied? How much do you love me? How much do you need? $45 I saw the most stunning hat, John If I get it, I'm sure I won't feel so depressed $45 for a hat That's a fine cure for depression That'll start one Women need those things to cheer them up. Look at Clara, my oldest sister. Every time she's in the dump, she buys a dress. I figured that's where she bought her clothes. <laughs> I'm not giving you $45 for any hat, and that's final. Now let me sleep. Oh, I hate you. How my mother begged me not to marry you. She pleaded with me not to marry you. Your mother told you not to marry me? Yes, she did. Dear heaven, how I'd misjudged that woman. <laughs> Oh, you'll be sorry for this, John Biggerson. You just wait and see. Oh, please, Blanche, I'm so tired and I have to make a 7 o'clock train. That means I have to get up before 6. Why do you need so much time? Well, I have to pack my suitcase, don't I? You haven't got a suitcase. Oh, I have, too. I bought a brand new one yesterday. It's in the closet. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. I put it there last night. I took it out this morning. What? Amos borrowed it. Oh, Blanche, he didn't. You didn't let that weasel take my brand new suitcase. I've never even used it. Don't scream so. You can carry your stuff in a paper bag. <laughs> paper bag? My suits will get all wrinkled. No, they won't. Amos barred them, too. Now, <laughs> look, Blanche. I see no reason for you to carry on like this, John. Blanche. Amos is going on a sailing trip with some very important businessmen, and he won't hurt your silly old suitcase. Blanche. He has to have something to bring the fish home in. He's going to carry fish in my suitcase, and I have to put my clothes in a gunny sack. Well, stay home, then. I can't stay home. If you leave me here alone in this horrid house tomorrow night, I'll... All right, all right, all right. I'll call Amos. I'll have him come over and stay here till I get back. Put the lights on. Honest Blanche, if I don't go on this trip tomorrow, I'm liable to lose my job. Hello? Amos, this is John. Hi, Jocko. What's new? Say, I, I want to ask a little favor, Amos. I have to go out of town tomorrow, and Blanche is afraid to stay here alone. Could you come over and spend the night? What's in it for me? 
What a chiseler. Is it worth a double sawbuck, Jocko? Okay, $20. And all the bourbon I can drink? All the bourbon you can drink. And can I bring a couple of friends over? Bring some friends. Take a note. You won't back out, Jocko. I give you my word of honor. Okay, I'll be over tomorrow. Uh, wait, Amos, when you come over, uh, uh, you might bring my new suitcase with you. I might bring it, but I won't. Because I already hocked it. Good night, Jocko. Ooh, how I hate that man. See what you make me go through just because you pretend you're scared to be alone? I'm not going to be alone. What? Mother's coming over to stay for the rest of the year. Good night, John. Oh, This is Dominique wishing you good days, good nights, and good luck until we meet again. Listen next Sunday for another pleasant half hour with Don Amici, Danny Thomas, Francis Langford, Carmen Dragon, and his orchestra. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for Inner Sanctum next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 at 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Inner Sanctum, one of the scariest shows on radio. And yet, the host of the show had great fun approaching his role in a tongue-in-cheek manner. I even enjoyed his take with helping out delivering the commercial you hear right after the beginning of the show. So get ready for the creakiest door-opening sound effects you've ever heard in the episode Terror by Night. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Welcome to the shadowy borderland of a squeaking door, all you hardy adventurers. Into the land of the grisly, ghastly, gruesome, horrid, shocking, and monstrous. <laughs> I mean, in a sanctum. Of course, I assume that we're all old friends here, but if by any chance there's a stranger among us, perhaps I should state the purpose for which we are here assembled. Our object is to make your spine tingle and your hair stand on end. <laughs> That's right. When we're through, you'll discover that a fiend in need is a fiend indeed. <laughs> Heavens, you stop talking so scary, or folks will tune us off their radios. Oh, Mary, I'm just trying to scare them into the chill so they'll have to drink Lipton tea. <laughs> well, that isn't necessary at all. For a great many years, people have been enjoying Lipton tea without any persuasion from you. That famous Lipton flavor has won the praise of tea experts all over the world. And you know, folks, these experts describe the Lipton flavor by saying that it's brisk. B-R-I-S-K. Now, brisk means that Lipton tea always tastes fresh and, and full-bodied. Yes, tangy and vigorous. Never flat or wishy-washy. That's why I always say you don't know how good tea can be till you know how good Lipton's is. And now, friends, let's go from tea to terror. <laughs> yes, the title of tonight's story is Terror by Night. It's an original radio play by Emil Tepperman. Tell me, have you ever been alone with fear? Alone in the night and frightened? 
Well, here's Anne Shepherd and the role of Linda Dixon to tell us what happened to her. It was a Friday night, and I think I was already a little nervous as I drove north into the mountains. It was the first day of my vacation. I started from the city early enough to arrive before nightfall, but my car was six years old and developed motor trouble. So now I was driving through the night with 50 miles more to go, and I was tired and nervous and irritated. And then I heard that siren in the distance. At first, I couldn't place it. And then I remembered the state prison was somewhere in the vicinity. The siren. That meant... That meant a prisoner had escaped. I reached over and turned on the radio. They were broadcasting an alarm. I repeat, motorists are warned to be on the lookout for Lee Hartley, who escaped from the death cell at State Prison at 9.15 p.m. He is 5 foot 10, dark-haired, regular features, no distinguishing marks. Hartley is a confirmed killer. He is believed to be armed. Beware of Hartley. He would rather kill than eat. I better give you that he again. He would rather kill than eat. To be armed. And that man was loose. I stared ahead at the lonely road spinning toward me through the windshield. It has been established that Hartley was helped to escape from the outside by a sweetheart, Helen Hearn, a red-headed woman just as vicious as Hartley himself. It is thought that Hartley and the Hearn woman may have separated after the escape. All motorists are warned to beware of a dark-haired man and a red-haired woman, alone or together. My hand was shaking a little as I turned off the radio. I looked in the car mirror and shivered. I, too, have red hair. There was a storm coming up, and I was driving into it. The night was black, and I felt small and lonely and frightened in the car. Then I saw them in the mirror, the, the headlights sweeping up behind me. A car. It had come out of nowhere. It was pulling alongside, cutting me off. I cowered behind the wheel and then watched the door of that other car open. A man stepped out. Oh. I breathed a sigh of relief. It was a state trooper. Driving all alone, miss? Oh, yes, officer. Uh, sorry if I scared you. We're stopping all cars. Where are you heading for, miss? Oh, I'm going up to uh, Seven Lakes Hotel. That's near Carstairs. You see, I, I started out late from the city, and I, I'm having motor trouble. Yeah, sure. Can I see your driver's license, please? My, oh, yes, my driver's license, of course. Here, I've uh, got it somewhere in my purse. <laughs> I seem to be off fingers. That escaped prisoner, Hartley. How'd you know about him? Oh, well, I, I heard the prison siren. Then it, it came over the radio about Hartley and his red-haired girlfriend. Say, you've got red hair, too. <laughs> well, you don't think I'm that woman. Find that license yet? Well, I, I'm sure it's in here. So many... Oh, here, I've got it. Here, here's my license. Thanks. Hmm. What time did you say you left the city? About five o'clock. Took you a long time to get this far. I told you I had motor trouble. Oh, I'm sure you did. 
Yeah, okay, Miss Dixon. Here's your license. You can go ahead. Thank you. Oh, darn. There it goes again. Or a motor trouble. No, it's the same thing the mechanic said it might happen. There it started. You want to get that fixed first chance you get? Yeah. It's late, though. All the service stations are closed. Yeah, there's one that's open all night about two miles up the road. Oh? You better stop there. Bill Slater's place. He's a good mechanic. Yeah. He'll fix you up. Tell him Joe Nesbitt sent you. Christ, thanks. I will. Uh, listen, Miss Dixon. Yeah. You be careful. Don't stop to give anyone a lift, man nor woman. Don't worry, I won't. The night closed in on me again, but I didn't feel quite so nervous, knowing that the trooper was somewhere behind me on the road and Bill Slater's service station ahead. In a few minutes, I saw the lights on the service station. I swung into the open space in front of the pumps. I stopped. There was a rumbling of thunder in the west. The storm was moving up fast. There was another car, a coupe, parked at the pump. But there wasn't anybody in it. And I didn't see any attendant around either. I pressed the horn button. No one answered. No one came out of the office. Still no response. Everything seemed so quiet and suddenly ominous. <laughs> I found myself shivering. I had a curious feeling that someone was watching me. I've got to get away from here fast. Starting on the work again. It won't start. It won't start. For a long time, I sat behind the wheel, listening. Listening for the sound of footsteps stealing up behind the car. There were none. Then I could bear it no longer. I had to get out of the car. I had to see what was in that office. I opened the door of the car and stepped down on the gravel. Anybody in there? No answer. I clenched my fists and stepped inside. There on the floor at my feet lay the body of a man. His mechanic's jumper was stained red with blood. And his throat was cut from ear to ear. How long I stood there, I'll never know. I was petrified, unable to move, unable to take my eyes from the bloody body. What's that? Someone coming downstairs. Somewhere upstairs. I've got to get away outside. But how? My car won't run. That other car, the coupe, I could jump into that. Yes. If I could reach that coupe before he comes down. Anything I... wrong, sister? Too late. Anything I can do for you, sister? 
yes, it, it, it's my car. It, it won't start. I thought someone here might help me. Sorry. There doesn't seem to be anybody around. That's my coupe over there. I stopped for gas and no one came out, so I went in and looked around. Did, did, did you uh, find anyone? There isn't a living soul in there. Oh. You, you look kind of tired. Oh, no, no, I'm, I, I'm all right. My name is Taylor. Oh? John Taylor. Uh, I'm, uh, Linda Dixon. Linda Dixon, huh? Glad to know you. Traveling far tonight? Well, I'm going to Carstairs. Uh, Seven Lakes Hotel. They, they, they're expecting me. Now, what do you know about that? What? Carstairs is the town I'm heading for, too. Isn't that a coincidence? <laughs> yes, I'm sure it is. Your car won't run. Tell you what, we'll put your baggage in my car and I'll give you a lift to Carstairs. You can send for your car in the morning. Oh, uh, no. I... I'll have your bag switched to the Jiffy. Please, no, I, I would rather not. There we are. All switched. Now, come on. Get in here. He took my arm and helped me into the coupe. His hand was strong. His grip was hard. It hurt me. There you are. Snug as a bug in a rug. We drove away into the night, leaving behind us the dead man in the service station. It looks as if pretty Linda Dixon has gotten herself into an awful jam. And believe me, she's shaking like jelly. My goodness, that poor girl. And just think, this is supposed to be her vacation. Why, Mary, she's in the country now, isn't she? In fact, it looks to me like she's going back to the soil. Horizontally. <laughs> oh, dear. Why do you always look on the dark side of things? Seems to me you're always pessimistic. Of course, lots of folks feel that way at times, like when they've been working too hard and they're tired. But, you know, I think there's nothing better for that let-down feeling than a good hot cup of Lipton's, the tea with the brisk flavor. That brisk flavor really perks you up. You see, that word brisk, B-R-I-S-K, is just another way of saying that Lipton tea tastes full-bodied and, and vigorous. Yes, tangy and, and spirited, never flat or wishy-washy. So, try Lipton's real soon, won't you, folks? Well, now, let's go back and see how pretty little Linda Dixon is making out. All alone in the car with a strange man. But after all, she shouldn't be too scared of him. He's just a felon who needs a friend. The storm broke a few minutes after we left that service station. We drove through sheets of rain... I sat stiff and tense beside the man who called himself John Taylor. He had both hands on the wheel, and he stared out through the windshield. My eyes focused on something on his right hand. It was a stain, a small stain, but it was wet and red. I couldn't take my eyes off it. What are you looking at? What? Oh, 
Nothing. Nothing at all. Hmm. Think I'll turn on the radio. Did you know there's been a jailbreak? Barkley is five foot ten, very dark hair. Don't be fooled by his pleasant manner. He is a killer by instinct. Killer no chance by instinct. He is absolutely... I looked at the man beside me. Helen Hearn is a clever and dangerous woman. Five foot three, red hair, very pretty. I caught Taylor looking at me out of the corner of his eye. What are you looking at? At your hair. It's red. There was a streak of lightning. And looking out of the rain-swept window, I glimpsed a signpost. The lightning illuminated the sign, and my heart skipped a beat at what I saw. That sign we just passed. What about it? Well, it, it uh, said Kerhonks in the head. We're going the, the wrong way. We should be on the Costas Road, not on the Kerhonks Road. That's funny. Must have taken the wrong turn. Well, aren't you going to turn back? Sure. Whatever you say. We'll turn right around and go back. Uh-oh. We're in the ditch. In the ditch? That's no good. She won't budge. Well, it looks like we're stuck here for the night. You... You look scared. Oh, no. Um, I think I'd better get out and walk. Perhaps there's a house nearby. Walk in this weather? Oh, I don't mind the weather, really. I don't... You can't walk in this storm? Well, uh, nevertheless, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try. Not on your life. What do you mean? You're staying right here till I get the car out of the ditch. You get pneumonia walking in this storm. But I'm Let's well... Let's see. Where's that flashlight? Ah, here we are. Got some tools in the trunk compartment. You stay put. Stay right where you are. I heard him open the trunk in the back. I listened for further sounds. But there was nothing. I didn't hear him moving here. I didn't hear any tools. I had to find out what he was doing. Slowly, carefully, I got my door open. I stepped out into the rain and sneaked back to the rear. I saw him there, not moving, in front of the open trunk compartment, bending over with a flashlight in his hand. The ray of light was focused on on something curled up inside. It wasn't baggage or tools. It was a woman's body. Just then he saw me, he snapped the flashlight off, but not before I caught a glimpse of red hair. Then I must have fainted. When I came to, I found myself seated inside the car again. My face and hair were wet. My clothes were dripping. John Taylor was driving. His face as he stared ahead through the night was dark and bleak. The storm was over. Night was quiet. Oh, so you're awake again. 
I... I don't feel well. Is it because of what's in the trunk compartment? She's dead. I told you not to get out of the car. What are you going to do with me? What do you think? Please. Sorry, sister. Got to take your medicine. Oh, no. Do not make any trouble. I'll try to make it as easy for you as I can. They say that when a person loses all hope, subconsciously he seeks refuge in sleep. That's what must have happened to me. I must have dozed or, or perhaps I fainted. I don't know. But I awoke with a start at the sound of brakes. I sat up straight and saw that we stopped in front of a small fieldstone house. Why are we stopping here? I'm out of gas. Oh. Come on. We're going in. Sign on the door said Roger Bryce, M.D. A doctor's house. I began to feel a spark of hope. There might be a chance. I'll do the talking. Is that clear? Uh, yes. Where's the bell? Oh. Must be awake. There's a light in the parlor. How do you do? Good evening, Dr. Bryce. Yes. Can I help you? I'm terribly sorry to disturb you, Doctor, but my sister and I were heading for Carstairs, and we seem to have gotten lost. And we're out of gas. His sister? He was passing us off as brother and sister. Now I knew why he hadn't cut my throat as he had that service station man's. He was carrying me for protection. I was his passport through the police court. His sister. I'm afraid I can't be of much help to you. I'm seven miles from the nearest town, and I haven't any spare gasoline. Come in, won't you? Why, yes, thank you. We will. I wonder if I could offer you my hospitality for the night. Oh, that would be imposing. Not at all. I have two rooms that aren't being used. Oh, really? Oh, I... come. I insist. I'd hoped for a chance to talk to Dr. Bryce alone. Just a word to warn him. But Taylor never left us alone for a minute. He insisted on coming into my room to make sure he said that it was comfortable enough for me. Then he took the doctor by the arm and went out with him. Good night, sis. And sweet dreams. I was alone. Free of the presence of John Taylor. I had another lease on life. I waited. My heart pounding. Give them both a chance to retire. Then I slipped off my shoes. And in my stocking feet, I stole across the room and inched my door open. Slowly, carefully, I stepped out into the corridor and turned right toward the doctor's room. What's the matter, sister? You weren't thinking of going anywhere, were you? I wanted a drink of water. A drink of water, huh? In case you didn't know it, there's a water pitcher on your dresser. Oh, I didn't see it. Good night, sister. I turned around and went back into my room. It was no use. If I attempted to warn Dr. Bryce... Taylor would probably kill us both. 
I turned off the light in my room. I knew he was watching my trance. Then I lay down on the bed. How long I lay there, I don't know. Perhaps I slept, perhaps not. But I heard that slight creak as my door began to inch open. The blood chilled in my veins. Slowly the door came open. I lay fascinated, unable to move. Vaguely, I saw the outline of the hand and the knife it held. I I wanted to scream, but I couldn't. Slowly, he came toward the bed. Now he stands over me. He raises the knife. I rolled over on the bed just as the knife slashed down. I rolled off the bed and cowered in a corner. That horrible figure came around the bed after me. With a knife, a brain. Help! Dr. Price, help me! Oh, no, I was all in the corner. They fought all over the room in the dark. I had no strength. No. To think. Not even to hope. All the life seemed to have gone dead in my veins. And then. Then it was over. But who. Who had won? In the dark, I strained my eyes to see. There was a vague shape on the floor. And another. Weaving around the room. Who? Which one was it? Doctor. Dr. Bryce. Is that you? No, Linda. It isn't Dr. Bryce. It's I. John Taylor. John Taylor. Standing there at the light switch. And on the floor lay Dr. Bryce unconscious. With a long gash in his head. I had to hit him with a water pitcher. My eyes turned to Dr. Bryce. I saw the knife still gripped in his right hand. That's Hartley, Linda. Lee Hartley, the killer. It was he who came in here with a knife? Right. I I was down the cellar just now. The real Dr. Bryce is down there. Dead. And this fellow... Closed as Bryce when we came to the house. Then, then you, you're you not Hartley. No, isn't that rich? All the time you thought I was Lee Hartley and I thought you were Helen Hearn. On account of your red hair. But, but the body, the, the body, the red-haired woman. Oh, that's Helen Hearn. This fellow must have killed her back at the service station and stuffed her body in my trunk compartment while I was inside. That all happened last summer. In time, I think I'll manage to forget that night of horror. But it won't be soon. Sometimes in the night I dream that I I see that awful figure with the knife poised above my throat. And I wake up screaming. But then John takes me in his arms and holds me tight and tells me that everything's all right. You see, I'm Mrs. John Taylor now.
do you know? A happy ending. As for Mr. Hartley, that pleasant killer, he got what he deserved. Yes, yeah, some people never know when they're well off. You should have stayed in jail where they never raise your rent, where they make no charge for meals or for uh, electric current. You see, when you're in jail, everything is free, except you. <laughs> you know, Mr. Host, that's the first happy ending we've had in a long, long time. And I must say, I enjoyed it. Ah, those lovebirds shouldn't have gotten married. It's bad for business, Mary. Now, when she wakes up screaming from a nightmare, she reaches for her husband instead of a hot cup of a Lipton tea. <laughs> well, I'm glad she has a husband to comfort her. There are plenty of other occasions, Mr. Host, when Lipton's tea is welcome. And I don't mean just at mealtimes, either. Lipton's is grand between meals. And, of course, it's the perfect beverage to serve when friends and neighbors drop in to visit you. Yes, I guess that's why more people serve Lipton tea than any other brand. <laughs> And now a word of caution to all amateur detectives. They say that if you give a criminal enough rope, he'll hang himself. But if you give some criminals enough rope, they might tie you up. Oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is Puzzle for Wantons by Patrick Quentin. Yes, and next week's Inner Sanctum story, directed by Hyman Brown, and brought to you by Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup, Next week's story is about a lonely man who falls in love with a mannequin in a store window. But gee, fella wants a real girl. So he tries to make her come to life. And what do you know? He finds he has to kill her first. <laughs> well, now it's time to close the squeaking door, so... Good night. Pleasant dreams. Hmm? <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be here next week when I uncover more radio gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.